Acts chapter 3, 1 through 11. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the, by, the, by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, go over to chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. So this happens, Peter preaches, and watch what happens next. But many of those, Acts chapter 4 and 4, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about five thousand five thousand may God bless the reading of his word five thousand souls so what do we have so far we have 120 that were in the upper room and then we had 3,000 that were added and it says that then they were added day by day those that such as should be saved And then we have here now 5,000. That brings us over 8,000 souls that have been saved in this very short period of time. Plus more than that, we know. What was taking place? I'll tell you what was taking place. God's power was being poured out in Jerusalem. That's what was taking place. His power was being poured out in Jerusalem. If there's ever a time that we need His power poured out, it's now. You see, what was taking place in the religious system was the same thing that's taking place today. There was just a lot of tradition, a lot of stagnant, a lot of just, just, ugh, gross. We need God's power poured out on us now today. It doesn't take a genius to figure out that when we got transgender people, drag queens, reading to our children in schools... That we need God's power poured out on us. Plain and simple. Acts chapter 3, 1 through 11, we have something that takes place and it tells us in the chapter 2 that many signs and wonders were done. But here is the first recorded miracle in detail that's in the book of Acts that we see. And it just so happens to be to a lame man. Listen to the text. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. This was something that they did. This was something that they were uh, accustomed to doing. 
And a man lame from birth was being carried. This man was, he was lame, he was lame from birth. So people knew who he was. If there is somebody that is lame from birth in this community, I promise you, if you've lived here all your life, you know who they are, right or wrong. That's right. There's no getting around it. You know the one that's in the wheelchair. You know the one that has cerebral palsy. You know the one that works over here, works over there, that, that has to have special aid. This was no different. This man needed special attention. If he couldn't work, he couldn't eat. So what did they do? People brought him to the beautiful gate because that's where everybody went in at. They brought him there because he knew that at certain times during the day, three times as a matter of fact, during their prayer times, that he might just have a chance of getting some alms, some money. That somebody would have pity on him and throw him a coin or two. Would Would you throw him a coin or two? If you saw it, hopefully we would. What about every day if you saw him three times a day? Would you continue to throw him coins? It'd be hard, wouldn't it? <laughs> It'd be hard to do. It'd be hard to do. But nevertheless, he was sitting there and, and all of this had taken place in Jerusalem. And so this was no, no coincidence that John and Peter were going up into the temple to pray. And so what do we have here? We have a man that is lame in both his feet. He is lame in his legs. He's been that way since birth. And Peter and John, these two simple men... And I say simple because that's what they were. However, they were endowed with power from on high. They were apostles. And so God worked through them these miracles and these miraculous things. And here they are going into the temple to pray. Did they bypass this man to go into the temple to pray? Or did they stop what they were doing? Work first for the Lord and then do what they were supposed to go do. They stopped, didn't they? They made themselves available, didn't they? And so this is one thing that we have to remember. We've got to make ourselves available. But let's move on with the story because these are, these are narratives in the book of Acts. And we're going we're gonna to break this down here in just a moment. But I want to get through the story. So listen to what it says. So they move on and they come to this man that's laying there at the gate and, and they see him and, and, they, and the man speaks and the disciples or the apostles speak and they, he says, do you have any alms that you can give me? And Peter and John are there and Peter speaks up and he says, silver and gold I don't have. But in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand up. What happened? The man stands up, right? He leaps up. He begins to praise the Lord, to glorify God. Then he clings to Peter and John and walks with them into the temple. Now, with the story being told, it tells us that the people stood in amazement at what had happened. But there was a purpose for this miracle. There was a purpose for what was taking place here. There's nothing on coincidence, right? We don't, don't, coincidence, I I I don't believe in them. I just don't. We have in God's word these purposes that are played out for us to see. 
Verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. 3 p.m. They went to pray. Even after the veil was rent, I want you to listen to me. Even after the veil was rent, even after the sacrificial system was done away with, because Jesus fulfilled all that, Peter and John still felt it necessary to go into the temple to pray. Why? Because that was their religious duty to do. He has called all men to pray. We are to pray. We're to be people that pray. Now, let me tell you what had happened. Tradition had set in. The sacrificial system was, was busted. The veil had been rent. All of that was done away with. But they knew that they were going to go up to the temple so many times a day to continue to ask of God things that they needed. To praise Him and to pray. They didn't stop doing that just because the temple was done away with that type of worship. They continued to go in there to pray. Continued to go in there to pray. It became a tradition for them. And now a lot of people come to church out of tradition. And, and they come in the same and they leave the same and never changed. Peter and John went out of tradition because this was a habit that they had formed to go to the temple to pray but it wasn't some tradition that was that was gross or worthless this was something that led them to falling in love with the Lord and serving him they went into the temple to pray Also, they had been commanded to stay in Jerusalem, had they not? By the Lord himself. Before the ascension, what did he tell them? Start right here. And so they're still there. They hadn't wandered off yet anywhere. They hadn't wandered off yet. They were still there in Jerusalem and they were working. They were working. They had been commanded to stay in Jerusalem and to do evangelism. And this is exactly what is happening. Is it coincidence that they, that they just happened to go into the temple and that there just happened to be a lame man there offering or begging for alms? Is it a coincidence that healing took place? Is it a coincidence that preaching took place? Is it a coincidence that 5,000 people in one day were saved? Is that a coincidence? No! God had a plan and he had a purpose for this day. Just as he does with each and every one of us. There is no coincidence here. This is why our Christian duties are so important to follow through with. Our Christian duties, they're so important to follow through with. The Lord places things in our path that will ultimately bring him glory. And this is what's taking place in the lives of Peter and John. But what if they would have just passed him by? Like that parable where they went on to the other side of the road so they wouldn't have to mess with the man in the ditch. What if they'd have just passed him by like the priests and the Levites? Well, what happened is because they didn't pass him by, they stopped and invested in the beggar 
when they stopped and invested, that led to something much greater from a beggar. And we're going to see that play out in our text. We have to be willing, we have to be available, and we have to be discerning. It doesn't matter how old or how young that we are. We don't have the option to stop serving the Lord. We have to be willing, available, and discerning to know he is leading us into his work. And this is what John and Peter were doing. They stopped because they see a man that is in need. They see a man that needs something. So they stop. Guys, we, we have to be able to stop. Amen. Let me explain to you something. We got people all around us that are hurting in this community. I talked about our, our Christian duties last week, the end of last, the last Sunday morning, the end of Acts chapter 2, where they were fellowshipping together and breaking bread together and doing all things and having all things in common together. They were loving on one another and they were fellowshipping with one another. And this was the Christian lifestyle. But here we see John, we see Peter, and they stop to spend time with a beggar. How many beggars we got in Jonesville? Got a few, don't we? You ever stop and spend time with them? The other day I stopped... And my kids were with me and my wife was there too. And, and there was even some friends. We were in the truck and there was, a, there was a man there that used to come to the Council on Aging. Monroe knows him. And uh, he came up to me and he was pretty wild-eyed. And it just broke my heart because it was cold. And I knew it was going to get in the 30s. It was one of the colder nights that we've had. And he was out there in short sleeves and a hat. I know he didn't have a place to stay. But what I did have on me was a toboggan. And I love that toboggan. Oh, I love that toboggan. And I had a vest on me that was flannel that I hunted in and I loved it. Now, why do you reckon I had those in the... I didn't have a place to hunt. Why do you think I had those in the, in the truck? Was it coincidence that I had them in there? No, it wasn't. The Lord wanted, them, wanted that man to have that. Yes. So I reached in there and I gave it to him. And I, as I parted with my black thick toboggan, <laughs> I did it graciously with joy. And the next day I saw him walking down the road with it on his head. Just a chattering to himself, throwing his arms around. But he had a warm head. He had a warm chest because he was wearing my vest. Do we ever just stop and meet a need? Whether you know that person is right or wrong or indifferent, whether you know that person, there, there is a humanity side of us that has to come out at some time. And then there's the side of, that we have as Christians. 
where we have a duty to take care of people. Peter and John, they stopped here. They didn't have anything to offer. They didn't have any money. Why? Probably because they had given it all to the early church. They were sold out and invested in the early church that had just been birthed. They stopped. They were willing. They were available to use their time to use their gift, to use whatever they had within them that God had given to them, they stopped to tend to the one. Kind of sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Guess what? He was their teacher, right? (laughs) And so we see them following his example. Here in our text... We see the healing of one man bringing about the spiritual healing of 5,000. You have no idea what God can do by simply giving a toboggan to somebody. We have no idea, guys. God's power, and this is where we're fixing to go. We have no idea... Just by doing one act of kindness to somebody, led by the Spirit to do it, where God's going to take it. And so here in our text, we have that taking place. And because of that, not only was a man healed physically, spiritually, but 5,000 were saved in one day. Because two men decided to stop and say, you know what, we don't have anything, but in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Stand up. Let's move on. So we know the story. And we're going to be breaking down this passage of Scripture, 1 through 11. And I've got three points that I have to make, and and I don't usually have three points. Sometimes I have ten or eight or five or four but this morning however I do have three and they all start with the letter P so you'll want to write them down I've always admired some of the ministers like Adrian Rogers who could who could bring these wonderful points out and they have the same letters so you can remember them easy and I've always wanted to be able to do that but that's not my greatest gift at all and so anyways this morning I have three P's that I'm going to bring out in this text that we are going to look at very briefly. That's going to explain to us what's taking place in this text as a whole in 1 through 11. And the first P that I want to bring out, I'm going to give them to you real quick. The first one is power, the second one is purpose, and the third one is praise. Power, purpose, and praise. You got that? Power, purpose, and praise. The first one we're going to look at is the power of God, the omnipotent one. We've already seen the power of God working in the early church in Acts in chapter 2. We've already seen where 3,000 were saved plus the 120 that were in the upper room. We see where people were selling things and, and, and doing things for one another. 
This is miraculous work indeed. We have to understand that God's power was moving through these people's lives, through these Jews from every nation under heaven. We see the, the, the language barrier being, being broken by the gift of tongues when Peter stood up to preach. And all those that were there heard. God's power was working. 3,000 were saved, and this is miraculous. God's power, the omnipotent one. However, Pentecost was not just a one and done type deal. It wasn't just one and done, then we move on to something else. No, Pentecost, it, it, it was just the start of this, of this power. This power didn't just come and then leave. It was lasting. It was lasting for the people that were there, for the apostles that were there. This power wasn't used like uh, some willy, like willy-nilly, as my son would say. He loves to use the word willy-nilly, and I don't know why. And it's funny when he says it, but um, he says, Dad, you can't do it all willy-nilly-like. This power wasn't to be used all willy-nilly like, like a magician or like a, a sorcerer. No, this power was used in accordance with God's will through the apostles. And this is what we have to understand. This was God's power, God's might, His strength. He is the Almighty One. His, this is what's taking place. His right arm is being extended out. His right hand is being opened up. The hand and the arm of strength is fixing to be displayed once again to a mass quantity of people at one time. The power of God. This power was of the highest sort. In Exodus in chapter 13 and 9, it says in the latter part of that verse, it says, For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. Same power. No different. The power in the Old Testament is the same as the power in the New Testament. God is always God and He will never change. His power was strong then just like it is today. His power, there is nothing greater than His power. Deuteronomy 9 and 29, it says, For they are your people and your heritage whom you bought with a, bought, brought out by your great power and by your outstretched arm. What is happening in this text? What is happening as Peter and John walk up to this lame man? God's arm begins to extend out and power is fixing to flow just as it did off the hem of his garment whose, where, where virtue left him for the woman with the issue of blood. Power was fixing to come down from glory is what's fixing to take place in our text. His arm is fixing to be revealed. Whether Old Testament or New Testament power, it was God's power nonetheless. This was creation power, was it not? Jesus Christ spoke all things into existence. By the power of His Word, He spoke it into existence. Walking on water power. Defying the laws of gravity, defying the laws of nature that he set up. Red Sea parting power. 
Do you understand what I'm telling you? He took water that was unstable and he made it stable. Yes, yes. He took something that was unstable and he took it and he separated it and then he made it stable. He congealed it is what it says. Made it stable. That's God's power. And not only did he make it congeal and stand up, but then he made it go back. That's God's power. Jordan River stopping power. Not only did they cross the Red Sea and come out, but then 40 years later, they got to the Jordan River, which they had to cross to go into the land of promise, which was swollen. It was the time of year where it was swollen and coming out of its banks. And what happened? As soon as the priests with the ark stepped foot into the river, what took place by obedience? The river stopped and it backed up all the way to a little town by the name of Adam. And it let them all go through dry shod to the other side. How do you get a river to stop? Well, nowadays we make dams which fail. Then the Lord just said, stop, and it quit. And it stacked up. This is the type of power that I'm talking about. Jericho wall falling down power. How do you get a wall to fall down except it be by the power of God? We could take dozers and do all the different things, but they didn't have that then. God's power brought it down. In the book of Joshua, we understand that the Lord sent giant hailstones down when Joshua stopped and cried out to God because he was wanting to to overtake the land of Canaan and to fulfill God's plan and purpose for his life. And he said, Lord, I need you now more than ever. Sun, moon, stop. Lord, please, I need your help. And what did God do? God sent down giant hailstones upon the enemy and destroyed the enemy. It says that there was more killed by the hailstones than what Joshua killed. God's power. This is what's taking place in Acts chapter 3. The same thing that took place in Acts chapter 2. God's power is being revealed from heaven in a mighty, mighty way. Ground opening up and swallowing the wicked power. Do you remember that with the sons of Korah? Who rebelled against the headship of Moses and Aaron? They didn't want to be doing their menial tasks. And so what did the Lord do? He opened up the ground and he swallowed them whole. Because they went against the authority of the Almighty God. Lazarus raising from the dead power. (laughs) Something that was dead and rotten for four days. He says, arise. Resurrection power. Blood cleansing, wonder working power. All done by our omnipotent King of glory. Who has power and dominion over all things. And the first thing that we see in our text is we see this power being poured out in the life of one person through willing apostles. 
Silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have in the name of Jesus, get up. God's hand reaches down. His outstretched arm. His right arm comes out. And power flows from it. And so in our text, the first thing that we see is power. What we see Peter and John taking part in is nothing at all to sneeze at. This is no small thing to raise a man from his his bed that he has been laying on since birth. This is no small thing to bring energy and blood flow and muscle and tendons and all of these things back together to, for this man to jump up. This is not a small thing. This is God's power working through willing and obedient apostles. Just imagine what he would do with you and me if we were willing and obedient to just stop and tend to the beggar. You know, I don't know how long that man lived that said there wasn't no room at the inn. I'm seeing baby Jesus here in front of me. I don't know how long that man lived. But if he ever realized that that was the Christ that he rejected, I bet he must have felt like a real jerk. We have no idea what God has in store for us. God's power in our text... God's power here falls on the crippled man. I've got two pages of notes left. Y'all pay attention to me now. This man's ligaments, his tendons, his muscles, his joints, his cartilage, it was loosened, it was made alive. The power of God gave strength to the legs which had never stood. Only our Lord can do this. So God's power is first displayed. But there's a reason for God's power to be displayed. The second one is purpose. The word is purpose. What's the purpose of all this wonder-working power? What's the purpose? In some places throughout the Old Testament, the power of God was to punish the wicked and to avenge His holy name. Because he just couldn't stand it anymore. The wicked night, the wickedness of the Amorites hadn't hadn't become full yet. In other words, the, the Amorites were a wicked bunch of people, and they weren't allowed to go into the land of Canaan until the Amorites' wickedness had had met its boiling point. And then the Lord came in, and He sent Joshua and them in to rout them out. We see the same thing with Sodom and Gomorrah, do we not? Where God rains down. <laughs> he rains down hell, fire, and brimstone yes, yes. on Sodom and Gomorrah yes. because of sodomy. This power always has a purpose. Sometimes it was to punish the wicked. In other places, it was for the deliverance of the oppressed. And a lot of times, those two were together. We see that in Egypt. We actually see that in Sodom and Gomorrah with Lot. 
Here in our text, I believe God's power is wrought on this crippled man for several reasons. Let me name them to you very quickly. To show once again his power over nature. Because he, because he can. Just as he walked on water, just as he turned water into, into wine, he can show his power over nature because he can. The second reason I believe that this happened was to solidify the apostles' authority among the early church and the people that were around them. Because it was worked through the apostles. It was a work, a work that took place through the apostles given to them from God. The apostles had this power, but it came from the Almighty. So it solidified the apostles' authority among the early church and the people. Third, or third, to confound the wise and to put to naught those who are mighty. Yes. To confound the wise and put to naught those that are mighty. Yes. Well, why did he use the old, the old beggar at the beautiful gate? Why didn't he go in? Why didn't they go in there and, and, and get with the, the Pharisees and the, the high and the mighty ones and do a, a special work among them? Because he calls the weak things of the world to put to shame those that are mighty, right? Amen. The foolish of the world to confound the wise. And so here we see this being played out with this beggar. Fourth, and here's where the points come in at, four and five. This is the reason for the purpose. Listen to what it says. To show he is a relational God who cares about and for the one physically and spiritually. Yes. Let, me, let me explain that to you again. Let me say it to you again. What's the purpose of this power? Well, for this man it would have been because... What else? The Lord, it would have been like saying, I love you from the Lord. He realized what was going on. He got up and praised God. And so God cares for the individual, does he not? He cares about their physical body. He cares about our health. He cares about us being with him one day. And so this fourth point... I believe is the driving, driving force here in this text. The purpose was to show that he is a relational God who cares for the one physically and spiritually. But fifth, also to go along with that because of the healing power of one. God's power was demonstrated and the purpose was that 5,000 gathered around Peter and John and the opportunity to preach the gospel was given and they made good on that opportunity. And what happened? 5,000 people were saved at one time. They repented and were saved. So the purpose for the power ultimately was what? To call sinners... To call sinners to repentance. Yes, yes. Amen. Do we understand that? They stopped for just a brief moment to share love with one man that was crippled. 
God demonstrated this power. And the purpose was that was to show that man his love, but also so that they would have the opportunity that they didn't know that they were fixing to have to stand up and to preach the gospel resolute in what they believed under the influence of the power of the Holy Spirit and 5,000 people were saved. God's power was exercised on this man so that his purpose of grace might flow to the masses. Do we understand that? Which leads us to our last point. That it would flow to the masses so that they might praise God. Power, purpose, praise. Power, purpose, praise. God's power was exercised on this man so that his purpose of grace might flow to the masses so that he would be praised. Our Lord's desire is for us to offer up a sacrifice not of blood, not of bulls and goats, There was a sacrifice that's already taken place, and that was Jesus Christ. We need no more sacrifice of blood. But his desire is for his children, the called out church, to offer him praise. Plain and simple. A sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Our Lord desires us to praise him. You know that he's jealous for it? And he's perfectly righteous in being jealous. It's one of his attributes. He is perfectly righteous in being jealous for his praise. He wants us to brag on him. He wants us to dote on him. My Casey dotes on me when I bring home the meat, the bacon. Look at my baby. Even though Brother Nelson was the one that killed it. <laughs> Look at my baby. Bringing home the meat. Putting it up. Look at my baby. And you know what that does for me? Just like this. And I get to strutting around her. And the more she does it, the more I strut. <laughs> What do you think the Lord wants from us? Look at what all he's done for us. Look look at what he has done for us. Look how he has provided for us. In the desert, he didn't just give them water. He didn't just give them bread. He gave them meat. He gave them all the things that they needed in the desert. Their clothes didn't even wear out. Look what he's done for us. He's given us homes and He's given us food. He's given us all of these material things. But more than that, He has given us salvation because He is a relational God and He desires relation and fellowship with His people. Somebody praise Him this morning because of that. That's what He desires is our praise. 
So we have his power and we have his purpose, but we also have praise. And that is our responsibility. And let me tell you something. If you don't, somebody else will. In fact, somebody else doesn't. He'll call the rocks. He'll call the trees. He'll call the mountains and he'll call the trees and all the oceans and all the fish and everything else he can call to praise him if we don't lift up our hands and give him praise because of what he has done for us. You've got to understand our God requires us. He wants us. He calls us to give him praise, to lift up his name and to love him and to show the world who he is. Do we understand that today? Listen to the text and listen to what it says. Verse 6, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And, lit, and I believe they were strong, strong. Not just strong. They was healthy. And he took him by the right hand, raised him up. Verse 8, and leaping up, he went from a sitting position, a laying position, on the ground where his legs did not work, to a leaping, jumping, standing position. Do we understand that? And it says... He stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them. Walking, he entered the temple. The first thing that he did, he went with John and he went with Peter. He didn't want to leave them. He went with them. He clung to them is what 11 says. And he went into the temple with them. Praising God. God wants us to praise him. And recognize him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. Everybody knew him. They all knew who he was. And they knew this power had been poured out on this man. And it says, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John... All the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And the next time we meet, we're going to hear Peter's message that he has given, that he gives to the people here. The reason why he got the opportunity to give it, you want to know why? Because God's power was displayed because he stopped Peter and John stopped just to show kindness, generosity to one man. And that became an avenue for God's power to flow. For His purpose to come out. And what was that purpose? So that Peter and John could preach to 5,000 so that they would be saved, so that they then in return could turn around and praise the Almighty. That's exactly what He's called us to do today. He has called us to praise Him. If He has saved us, He has called us to praise Him.
Let's pray.